the Lions, the Jaguars, the Giants, and the Jets all won on the same day for the first time in 3,935 days. What a wild week of NFL football it has been. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of the Peyton Doyle Show. I'm Peyton Doyle, host of the Peyton Doyle Show. Thank you to those of you who are tuning in. If you're worried you might not be able to stay for the entire show, do not worry. The entire show will be posted here on YouTube and on listening platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. This was a week of statement wins and upsets. A lot of formerly bad teams are making us wonder, could they be good? And a lot of formerly good teams are making us wonder, could they be bad? After week two, I don't even really know what to think anymore. Everything I thought I knew as fact about the landscape of the NFL turns out to simply be just a fallacy. I really had a hard time picking which topics to discuss on today's show. There was just, you know, there's so much to pick from. I'm still doing biggest losers and biggest winners later on. I'm also still doing Peyton's picks to wrap up the show. I'll be talking about Tua and the Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, who look nearly unstoppable, the Eagles, and if they are legitimate contenders in the NFC, and the current state of the AFC South. But sadly, there's one thing that I do know for a fact in the NFL, and this hasn't changed for years, and it probably never will change. There's one main constant every single season, and that is injuries. And when the 49ers restructured Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, I was thinking someone's going to go down and that's when Jimmy will get traded. That's when Jimmy will get his chance to play again. Who would have thought that the guy who goes down would be the guy who replaced Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco? Trey Lance had to go under season, undergo season-ending surgery to repair two ankle injuries that he suffered in Sunday's game versus the Seahawks, which basically means... We have to wait another year before we even know anything about what Trey Lance is capable of as an NFL quarterback. And you've got to feel for Trey Lance. I'm really rooting for him to have a speedy recovery and come back better than ever. But as I look at the 49ers as a whole, this is the strangest quarterback situation in recent memory to me. Trey Lance getting injured is tragic and sad. Don't get me wrong. But the 49ers are going to win more games now with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think this is probably the first time in history where a team's franchise quarterback gets hurt and it might actually benefit the team immediately. Don't even just take my word for it. Michael Silver of the San Francisco Chronicle says several players and coaches privately have expressed that the 49ers are a better team with Jimmy as opposed to Trey Lance. Not only that, but the 49ers odds to win the Super Bowl jumped from plus 2,000 to plus 1,800. Tell me a time in NFL history where the former third overall pick, future of the franchise quarterback, gets hurt and the team's Super Bowl odds go up. Jimmy Garoppolo wins, ladies and gentlemen. He's won over 71% of his career starts, completes 67% of his passes, always around the high 90s to low 100s in terms of passer rating, two NFC Championship games in three years, one Super Bowl appearance, nearly won that Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo is no joke. Jimmy G isn't a backup quarterback in this league. I 100% believe 
that Jimmy G can be a franchise quarterback. Now he's getting another chance to start with a team that he's already extremely familiar with. The locker room clearly has faith in him. And now you're in a division. You're in a division in the NFC West where the the Seahawks are are in a rebuild. The Cardinals are sloppy at times. The Rams don't look like they're off to a hot start this season. They don't look like the world beaters that they were last year. So they can win in the NFC. They could possibly make the playoffs. They could also they could possibly be a wild card team in the NFC, and they could also possibly win the NFC West. So then it's time to ask the question: What happens if Jimmy Garoppolo does lead? the 49ers to the playoffs yet again this season. Are you really confident in throwing Trey Lance back out there and sitting Jimmy back on the bench? I'll tell you this right now. Jimmy Garoppolo might play an Uno reverse card on the 49ers. I can honestly see a situation where Trey Lance ends up being the 49ers quarterback who gets traded next offseason. Trey Lance would certainly draw a lot of interest on the trade market. He's young. He has a high ceiling. His contract is more favorable than Jimmy's. He might draw more trade interest than Jimmy because of that, because of his age, his ability, and his contract. As an organization, you're going to make mistakes. It's bound to happen. You cannot be perfect every time. But what you absolutely cannot do is be stubborn. Sometimes you just have to cut your losses and move on. John Lynch and the 49ers front office has to recognize that one thing is for certain in the NFL. If you're a head coach or general manager and you want to retain your job, hitting on your draft picks isn't going to save your job, but winning on Sunday will bill Belichick hasn't hit on a draft pick in two decades, but he wins on Sunday and he's never going to get fired from the Patriots. And at the end of the day, Jimmy Garoppolo gives the 49ers the best chance to win on Sunday And if he leads yet another playoff push this season, the 49ers seriously have to consider their quarterback situation moving forward, and that might involve trading Trey Lance. Now let's talk about a former 49er, Mike McDaniel. Boy, is he thriving or what? First game as an NFL head coach, and he beats the greatest head coach in NFL history in Bill Belichick. And also a division rival in the New England Patriots. Then his team is up against the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and a Super Bowl winning head coach, John Harbaugh. And after facing a 21-point deficit, the Dolphins scored 28 points in the fourth quarter and ended uh, ended up getting the comeback victory in Week 2. This game certainly has given the Miami Dolphins a lot of attention, and reasonably so. Tua looked fantastic, completing 72% of his passes for 469 yards and six touchdowns. Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill look like potentially the best wide receiver duo in the league. So now it's time to raise the big question. Could the Dolphins actually be contenders in the AFC? No. Let's pump the brakes on that for right now. It has only been two weeks and while they looked really impressive against the Ravens, and they looked really, they really only looked impressive for one quarter during the game, if we're being honest. So, no, I'm not ready to call the Dolphins contenders. I have to see them play a complete game first before I'm comfortable saying that. However, if you're a Dolphins fan, you should be extremely excited about the future of this team. 
Mike McDaniel is absolutely the answer at head coach for this team moving forward. Tua looks like a different quarterback in this offense. He looks like he can actually be a franchise quarterback. Mike McDaniel has helped Tua regain his confidence and swagger, and it's evident in his play on the field. Tua's biggest problem never was the fact that he didn't have a very big arm. It was the fact that he played extremely timidly. He played football like a sad dog, ears flopped down, tail tucked in between his legs, but now he's playing confidently and with swagger. And let's be honest, I personally believe Brian Flores played a big factor in the reason why Tua played like that. He didn't let Tua go in and make mistakes. He didn't let Tua go in and, and feel his way out through the offense and go through those growing pains. Tua knew if he struggled, he'd be benched. Tua would have never had the shot to come back in this game. If Brian Flores was the head coach and the Dolphins were down 35-14 to 14 going into the fourth quarter, Tua would be on the bench. Mike McDaniels tells Tua, let it rip. Push the ball down the field. If you make a mistake, that's fine. Just don't stop being aggressive. And that new mindset was on display last Sunday. Tua made mistakes early in the game. He threw two interceptions. But what I loved about Tua, he didn't stop letting it rip. That's the growth he needed, was the confidence, the aggressiveness. Look, Tua will never have an arm like Mahomes or like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert, but he doesn't need to have a cannon to be a good quarterback. How many guys have arms like Josh Allen, Mahomes, or Herbert? That's why they're special. Not everyone can have a bazooka of an arm. I'm extremely impressed with what I saw out of Tua on Sunday. It wasn't perfect by any means, but it certainly was a huge step in the right direction for him and the Miami Dolphins. And while we're on it, I don't know if any of you have seen this video on Twitter, but someone posted Tua's highlights from the game, but mirrored the video. So it looked like Tua was a righty. And I, I really don't know how to describe it, but seriously, it made him look like a better quarterback. It made his throwing motion look so much cleaner, so much smoother. Like maybe Tua doesn't pass the eyeball test because we never see lefty quarterbacks and it just looks odd. It seriously made a huge difference. And then they flipped guys like Herbert to make him look like a lefty and Josh Allen to make him look like a lefty. And they don't look that good. So I think that some reason, some of the reason why Tua will never pass the eyeball test is simply because he's a lefty quarterback. If you haven't seen this video, may, do yourself a favor. Go check it out. It will probably have you questioning your thoughts on Tua's throwing motion. It did for me. Now let's talk about the, division, the, the Dolphins division rival and week three opponent. The Buffalo Bills look frightening, terrifying, and everything in between. Opposing teams should be trembling on the week that they have to face the, the Buffalo Bills. The Bills were like everyone te everyone's favorite team going into the year. And through two weeks, they somehow exceeded expectations that were already insanely high to begin with. Week one, the Bills played the defending champion Rams on the road and then played last year's week first seed in the AFC. And they beat both of them by a combined score of 72 to 17. This is not a joke, ladies and gentlemen. The Bills are clear-cut favorites as of right now. They are the most complete team in football. The defense looks fantastic, and they're doing it without arguably the, their best cornerback in Tredavious White. 
they're not going to go 17 and 0 because that simply just won't happen. Let's be reasonable here. But as of right now, I don't really think of any teams that can beat them. I don't feel more than 30% confident in any team in the NFL to beat the Buffalo Bills. And there's just a different feel with the Bills this year. Like they just seem like they're 100% in sync as a team and they're playing like they know they're the team to beat. They know they're those guys. Last year, the the Bills had a lot of silly losses, a silly games, and they got beat by teams that you simply just can't lose to. Like week one, they lost to the Steelers in the shell of Ben Roethlisberger. Then they lost to the Jaguars. Then they got blown out at home by the Colts where Jonathan Taylor ran for like a billion touchdowns. That's the difference between the Bills this year from last year. The Bills are going to lose. They won't go 17-0, but I don't see them dropping the duds and having the head-scratching losses like they did last year. And we have to give the Bills a lot of credit. The Bills really played the long game in their rebuilding process, and it has certainly paid off. And it's it, it plays into what I talked about with Tua earlier in the show and what I said about Trey Lance and Justin Fields last week. Josh Allen didn't look like the best quarterback at first. He showed flashes of his talent, but he was not nearly the player that he is today. Josh Allen will forever be the poster child of being patient with young quarterbacks. Not everyone is Justin Herbert. Not everyone is Patrick Mahomes. Sometimes it takes time for a young quarterback to develop, but the Bills front office deserves a lot of credit for Josh Allen's development and the vast improvement of of this organization as a whole. They've given teams a blueprint for how to develop young quarterbacks. They stuck with McDermott and Brian Dable through the struggles of Josh Allen. They let them work through the growing pains. If they would have fired Dable or McDermott, like so many organizations do very early on in young quarterbacks' careers, we might not be talking about Josh Allen as one of the league's best quarterbacks like we are right now. So props to the Bills for being patient, and and now they are reaping the benefits as the best team in the NFL. Now in the NFC, there's a team that is lighting the league on fire through the first two weeks. That would be the Philadelphia Eagles, who are coming off what could possibly be a statement win on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. I initially wasn't as high on the Eagles as most were. But as the offseason progressed, I did decide that I would pick the Eagles as favorites to win the NFC East. However... I did not expect them to look this good through two weeks in the season. I wasn't overly impressed with their week one performance against the Lions. I thought the offense played great, but I was concerned about their defense letting the Lions score 35 points and almost coming back to win that game. But man, after Monday night football and their performance against the Vikings, who I'm very high on, it's raising a lot of questions. And one of those questions being, are the Eagles the be- the best team in the NFC right now? The Rams are looking rocky. The Bucks don't look like world beaters. Who else are we really confident in? The Packers? I would say that as of right now, as of right now, today, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. However, I'm not confident that they will maintain that status for the entire season. I think the Bucs will eventually wake up offensively. I also really want to see the Eagles play against a good defense. 
because they've played against the Lions defense, which isn't that great, and the Vikings defense, which I think isn't that bad, but the Vikings defense is certainly their setback as opposed to their strength. It's not a feature of their team. So how will Jalen Hurts and Philly look against a top-tier defense? Once I know the answer to that, I will be able to tell if they are truly the best team in the NFC, or the best team in the NFC. They are clear-cut the best teams in the NFC East. Without a doubt, they will easily win that division. The Eagles know what they are. Nick Sirianni has the Eagles playing towards their strengths. That's what good coaches do. Play towards your team's strengths. The Eagles know exactly what they are. They know exactly what they want to execute each game. Having an identity as a team is so important. And the Eagles have that. And they are certainly trending upwards, but much like the Dolphins, until I see consistency and how they play against better teams, I'm not 100% sold on them just yet as contenders. Now let's move on. Let's move on to the AFC South. The AFC South, by gosh, it's a horrible division this year. Terrible division. The Texans are terrible. The Titans don't look anything like the team they used to be. The Colts look like they've somehow regressed after changing from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan in the offseason. And the Jags are simply unproven. We all need to come to terms with the fact that the winner of the AFC South simply isn't going to be a very good football team, which means that it's going to be wide open as to who is going to win it. And I know it's very early on, but I can't lie. I think the Jaguars are winning the AFC South. I really, really do. I was in Jacksonville for their game against the Colts. The Colts never even had a shot in that game. It didn't even feel like they ever had a shot. From the opening kickoff, it was done. All Jaguars. And I know the history of the Colts not playing well in Jacksonville and whatnot. So like it's kind of like a trendy thing. But this win was different for Jacksonville. This was a statement win by the Jaguars. This wasn't a, oh my gosh, the Jaguars just pulled off an up, upset win by the skin of their teeth. This was a complete and dominant performance against a division rival. I was very impressed with Jacksonville on Sunday. I really think that was Trevor Lawrence's best game so far as an NFL quarterback. He was efficient. He was quick. He looked comfortable, smooth, and he clearly already has a great connection with Christian Kirk. Doug Peterson has this offense clicking, and the defense took advantage of a Colts offense that was dealing with injuries heading into the game. I think there's a real possibility that the Jaguars win this division, albeit the worst division in football. But still, for a team that has held the number one overall pick in both of the last two years, that would be a huge leap in the right direction for them. And I think they have the pieces for that to happen. As for the Colts, they have a lot of issues. They have to blow this whole thing up and start from scratch. They were never just a quarterback away. There was so much more with this team that needs to be figured out. And I honestly think that Frank Reich may be out the door as head coach by the end of the year. So with all that being said, I think the Jaguars are in the best spot to win the AFC South, which would be incredible. All right, y'all, you guys know the drill. In this world, there's winners and there's losers. And winners, they always go first. So let's start off with my biggest winners of the week. Starting off, I have the Detroit Lions. For the first time since 2020, the Lions were favorites to win a game. But they still came out to play with Dan Campbell's underdog mentality. 
The Lions jumped out to an early 22-0 lead and then never looked back. Washington didn't lead the game once. Big win for the Lions, who are certainly trending in the right direction after winning just three games a year ago. Next up, I have the Eagles. Like I said earlier, they showed out on Monday night, and they look like the clear-cut best team in that division. The Commanders aren't promising, the Cowboys aren't promising, and the Giants, while they are 2-0, are still certainly not promising. The Eagles are putting the league on notice, and they're going to have a good chance to make some noise this year. Now, the biggest winner of the week, Tua Tagovailoa. If you throw for nearly 500 yards and six touchdowns and lead the largest fourth-quarter comeback in your franchise's history, you're the biggest winner of the week by default. If you're doing things that only Dan Marino has ever done before, you're the biggest winner of the week. Plus now, Tua has something on Justin Herbert. Herbert has never thrown for 400 yards in a game. Herbert has never thrown for six touchdowns in a game. Not that Tua is better than Herbert. But what a confidence boost that must be for Tua, and what a confidence boost this must be for the entire Dolphins team. I love what I saw from Tua this weekend. I hope the Dolphins keep it up. All right, now with every winner in life, there is a loser. It's how the world balances itself. So here are my three biggest losers of the week. Starting off at number three, I have the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts put all of the blame for their struggles last year on Carson Wentz. So they shipped him to Washington and then traded for Matt Ryan to replace Wentz. Well, it turns out there's a lot more troubles with the Colts than just Matt, just the quarterback position. Also, it might be worth noting that Carson Wentz, the quarterback that the Colts threw away, beat the Jaguars in week one. While the following week, Matt Ryan, the new and upgraded replacement, couldn't score a single point against the same team that Carson Wentz beat in week one. This Colts team used to pride themselves on their offensive line, but as of right now, they're bottom 10 in almost every category involving pass protection. The Colts have a lot of issues, and I don't see them solving it anytime soon. Don't be surprised if next season we see the Colts enter a rebuilding phase. Second biggest loser of the week has to be the Bengals. The Bengals went out and spent a ton of money in free agency to try and solve their offensive line issue. Through two weeks, it hasn't worked. Joe Burrow is on pace to get sacked over 120 times this season. The Bengals are sitting at 0-2, and they haven't even played a good football team yet. The Steelers aren't good, and they've continuously, continuously shown us that. Then you get the chance to bounce back against a terrible Cowboys team without Dak Prescott. And they managed to look just as bad, if not worse than they did in week one. Something just seems off in Cincinnati this year. Now, the biggest loser of the week is that clown you hear through this microphone right now. Last week just wasn't my week. What can I say? I was really feeling myself. I said, I'm going to finally do an episode of the show, and I'm going to roll out a new gambling segment called Peyton's Picks, and it's going to be so great. How cute of me. How, how cute of me. Well, I spent all this time digging into the Cowboys last week, and then they went out and won. On my new show with Dwayne Marcus, the rundown with Peyton and Marcus, I said that the Vikings were going to beat the Eagles on Monday Night Football, and during the game, Marcus just wanted to add insult to injury by posting about how I'm a moron all over Instagram and Twitter. Then on top of that, Peyton's picks. What a flop that was last week. I went 0-3 on my picks, 
during the inaugural week of the segment. So with all of that, I land atop of my own biggest losers list for the week. Now, hopefully I get the chance to bounce back this week because I'm still doing Peyton's picks. And hopefully these picks are a lot better than they were last week. Starting off, I'm taking the Bills to cover the five and a half point spread on the road against Miami this Sunday. Like I mentioned earlier, the Bills have outscored their opponents like a billion to three through the first two weeks. If Miami manages to keep this within 10, that's a moral victory for them. Plus, the Dolphins are one, two, and one against the spread when playing the Bills over the last two years. So give me the Bills to cover as five and a half point favorites. Next up, I have the Lions covering as six point underdogs in Minnesota this weekend. The Lions are 12 and seven against the spread under Dan Campbell, two and zero so far this season. They were two and zero against the spread last year against the Vikings. The Lions play tough. They're hot right now, and the Vikings looked very rocky to say the least on Monday night in Philadelphia. So give me the Lions to cover on the road this weekend. Now at number one, I have the Ravens covering as three point favorites on the road against the Patriots. Lamar looked fantastic last week against the Dolphins, even though the team didn't come out on top. Also, this Patriots team looks awful, and offensively, they looked terrible. Lamar Jackson is going to torch the Patriots this Sunday, and the Ravens are covering the three-point spread in Foxborough this Sunday. All right, everyone, that's going to be it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to drop a like, follow, or subscribe wherever you may be listening. And as always, make sure to stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.